0: welcome to techtastic the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society new breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges we'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives our communities and our planet Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Mike Trigg, it's my pleasure to welcome you to It's TechTastic. It is so lovely to have you here. Thanks, Christian. Glad to be here. So I think it's fair to say that you're a a successful serial entrepreneur, multiple VC-backed companies, that's made a big pivot into a more creative pursuit. You've become a best-selling author. Yeah. You're about to release your second book. Your first one was Bitflip. Your second one coming out this April is Burner. Mm -hmm. And the question I was asking you in the preamble, as we were just kind of getting to know each other real quick, was, is this like a 180? Did you go from this very analytical world that is the VC-backed startup into this creative pursuit? Or do you find that it's kind of a continuation of the same?
1: Yeah, that has been really an interesting part of the journey for me. I, I came out here uh, right around the dot-com boom in '96, '97 to pursue a career in entrepreneurship in the Valley. You know, and and what I always loved about founding companies was the creative side of it. You know, the idea that you're creating something out of nothing. I mean, when you start, it's an idea in your head, and there's really nothing more gratifying than seeing that idea come to life and get consumed by other people. And and that's really the kick I get out of starting companies. Um, I was always interested in writing. I took a creative writing class in undergrad and and really enjoyed it. I realized pretty early on that it was really hard to make money as an author. <laughs> uh, so I pursued sort of writing adjacent things, but I always kind of had this, you know, bucket list goal of writing a, a novel. And I started doing it. You know, it really was born a little bit out of conversations with my wife when I get home and I tell her stories about my day and, you know, they'd be funny or she'd say, you know, you should write this down. And, you know, so a lot of those, those anecdotes kind of were the basis of what became Bitflip, my first novel. That book is about a guy at a startup, an executive at a startup who discovers potential fraud going on within the company. That mm. He starts to kind of untangle and get implicated in himself as he starts to do the untangling. And the whole book really served as kind of a critique of culture tech access. I think that the whole industry, you know, sort of went through a pretty fast evolution from, you know, we're changing the world, we're making the world a better place. Place is, you know, sort of the motto of every tech startup to, yeah. oh, wait, wait. <laughs> maybe, maybe we're having some negative externalities that we didn't quite think about before. And so there is this sort of tech clash that has happened. You know, I love the tech industry. I still am in the tech industry. I still do, you know, angel investments and things like that. Um, but I felt like there wasn't really any good fiction that depicted what life in that world is really like. And so I set out to write that book.
0: I agree. Like the entrepreneurial journey is about creation. And I think that the best of us are the ones that have that left brain, right brain aspect to it. Anyway, I can take the idea and I can analyze it enough that I can come up with a plan to act on it. Now myself yeah. and my audience knows this. I'm also an artist. Uh, in fact, I think of myself as an artist first and an entrepreneur second, mm-hmm. but they're both the same thing. I'm creating something from nothing out of what's in here. The audience can't see that, but you did. I was pointing you at my head. on your forehead. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's great. And one of the things I really liked about your first book is that it wasn't a self-congratulatory journey of like the right. hero that was the entrepreneur, it was a critique of the industry in a way that wasn't also like a biography. It wasn't me saying, yay, look at me. It was yeah. you looking at what there was going on in the industry and making it entertaining.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not an autobiography. You know, I never was at a company that had fraud just for the record. I have lifelong friends of mine are people I've worked with over my career. You know, there's no characters in the book that I'm trying to get revenge against somebody in the real world. Um, I think one of my big observations that I would have told my 1998 self is there are some challenges to the structure of venture back startups and to the you know, sort of the entrepreneurial, venture-backed entrepreneurial model that you need to be wary of as an entrepreneur. One very notable and obvious one is, you know, rightly so, your venture investors take seats on your board when you're getting started. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, that makes the fiduciary responsibility of board oversight and CEO oversight a little conflicted. You know, that is an inherent conflict in uh, a lot of companies that people don't realize or appreciate always. And so, There are some of those sort of cultural things that are very much prevalent. I think there's also kind of an inherent hypocrisy a little bit within a lot of tech companies. You know, that phrase of, we're making the world a better place is something that you know a lot of companies really sort of believe in but it's become a little bit of an eye roll when you're sort of you yeah. know some blockchain cryptocurrency whatever you know it's like really are you know are you so you know i'm not sure a- nfts are making the world a better place and so <laughs> so you know i think really being honest about that mission being honest about what you're getting into it for
0: is also Pretty important absolutely agree with that it's funny as you were talking about that i loved the show silicon valley because yeah. it was so close to being factual yes in so many ways yes there's that scene when they're pitching it like the tech crunch disrupt thing and everybody's saying we're making the world a better place by distributed packet blah right. blah, blah, blah blah right optimization it was like huh <laughs> right and so your novels are actually a great i think they're fun because they actually kind of play with that a bit pointing out kind of the absurdity of the technology that we're all chasing or the dream that we're all chasing and how, you know, fraud can happen. Right. Or in the case of your newest one which I haven't read, but it sounds like it's about maybe like a social media company that realizes it's causing harm?
1: Uh, yeah, it's uh, well it's not really about a social media company but social media tools are certainly used in it. Uh. This was again sort of pulling from my own experience as I was at, you know, one of the world's largest social networks back in the aughts. The story is basically about sort of the anonymous leader of an online extremist movement and Mm. that movement sort of spirals out of his control nobody knows that he's the person behind it but in the opening scene, he's arrested and accused of domestic terrorism because uh, a protest that he organized uh, under the auspices of this movement, you know, ends up spiraling sort of out of control. And in fact, uh, his followers abduct his girlfriend, who is the daughter of a tech billionaire, wow. but nobody knows that they're dating. So, you know, that's her opening scene is she's abducted out of her Pacific Heights apartment. So, you know, it really, I thought, you know, this is a, I think there's a lot of unintended consequences in terms of online behaviors and attitudes, kind of the self-affirmation loop that people can get into, a self-gratification loop that people can get into in social media, the troll culture that you see in a lot of online forums and communities. And just sort of taking those things to an extreme where they end up actually jeopardizing the person that you love in the real world. And so I thought that was a, a really interesting trajectory to explore. In addition to my career in tech, I, prior to moving to Silicon Valley, worked on Capitol Hill. So I have a political uh. background as well. And <laughs> I was there during a, you know, frankly, sort of an interesting time And scary time a little bit you know the oklahoma city bombing happened then the unabomber happened then the anthrax mailings to you know capitol hill happened while i was there and so i witnessed firsthand you know some incidents prominent incidents where you know these movements back then it was pre-internet you know kind of could go really awry and result in loss of life and so that has always sort of fascinated and scared me so i wanted to do a story about that so that novel is called burner it's available for pre-sale now it comes out in april uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. It was a, a hard novel to write, quite honestly. You know, the first book, as I touched on, was a little bit autobiographical. You know, Sam, the protagonist there, is not just dis- too dissimilar to me. You know, he's a father. He's a C-level executive at a tech startup. You know, I could really relate to him personally. Uh, This second book is a first-person narration through two 20-year-olds, one male, one female, and then a a 60-something lawyer. And so it was really (laughs) a new experience for me to kind of get into character and um, write these first-person narratives from those different points
0: of view. It shows a lot of plasticity of your mind to be able to put yourself in those spaces. It and shows something,
1: either yeah. you know uh, certain masochism or something. It was it was a hard <laughs> thing to write, but uh, I'm really I'm really happy with how it turned out, and it's been really fun to get. You know, the other thing it required much more research because a lot of the first book was stuff that I knew just in my head from my 20 year career. Um, I don't know as much about these online movements or how the FBI investigates them and things like that. And so I had to do a lot of research, worked with a lot of former FBI agents to understand how these cases are investigated, prosecuted, Um, Worked with uh, a lot of the scenes happened in prison. I consulted with a colleague of mine who's also an author, but is a former corrections officer, Um, and so that was incredibly helpful to talk to those people and get that firsthand knowledge and validate that you know what I was telling wasn't completely fictionalized, just you know fictionalized within the realm of a novel. I'm glad you didn't get yourself arrested
0: and thrown in prison just to do
1: research. I did get a little worried about my Google search history showing up on some (laughs) FBI watch list because I got into some pretty dark stuff. So
0: So you've been a serial entrepreneur, you're probably still involved, you're a repeat angel investor, somebody's out there, they're trying to do their next thing, they've got a brilliant idea they believe, what's the first thing that they should do to validate that?
1: You know, you talked about the creative part of being an entrepreneur and every product I built started with designs, you know, it started with a pen on paper, you know, going into Canva, doing mock-ups of the interface, the app, etc. And nothing beats that, you know? I mean, that is the cheapest, fastest, easiest way to just validate with end users that there's an interesting idea here. You know, I didn't have a computer science background, so I needed to do that work. You know, I couldn't just code it up out of the gate. Uh, but even right. if you are a programmer, you know, that's very smart to do. And there are tons of great, you know, mock-up tools to do even interactive mock-ups of, of your app or your site or whatever it is that you're building. Uh, I think that's a good place to start. And then incrementalism is sort of how I always preach it, right? I think that you can't just look for validating signs of what it is you think the market opportunity is, You look, you have to look for ways that you can correct and refine that idea too. The most recent startup I was working on was AI for customer service. And where we sort of started out was, Looking at the problem from the company's perspective. You know, how do you use AI to solve customer inquiries faster, easier, cheaper? Um, But what we realized is that a lot of the pain was actually on the customer side, that customers would say, gosh, you know, I dread (laughs) calling Xfinity because it's an afternoon worth of sitting on hold for me. And so we really pivoted the idea completely to sort of figure out how we attack it from that point of view, provide a consumer app that can be an interface to, you know, the different service providers that you have. Now, caveat, that didn't work. <laughs> we ultimately weren't able to raise funding for that business. And when you introduced me as a successful ah. entrepreneur, I think every entrepreneur has to acknowledge that the wins, losses, and ties in their history. I've got
0: absolutely uh, just yeah. as many failures.
1: <laughs> and frankly, probably the biggest number on the board was kind of the Mez, you know, where you, you kind of get <laughs> you, you get something going. It's mm. off the ground. It's working. You're generating revenue, but it's just not quite that hockey stick growth that you need to have to be a venture backed business. And that's probably the second big thing I'd, I'd advise people is to be honest about what is the growth potential of this business because there's a tendency, especially here in Silicon Valley, to sort of assume that the route that you take is to raise venture money. That's not going to be the case for every business not every company has that real hyper growth potential and if you don't it's not going to be a good venture-backed business and that, that i wrote about this in the book where you know they're doing well they're profitable this company's going along this is you know from real experience of mine but it just wasn't growing fast enough to be you know that 10 bagger that a venture investor needs and so I think that should really inform how you build your business. You know, Do you bootstrap it? Do you do angel funding? Do you try to get it profitable faster so you can grow it organically? Do you raise money through different sources, debt, et cetera? And only if you're that sort of 1% of ideas that really
0: has that rocket ship potential do you go the VC route. You gave advice that's very similar to, I tell people what you have is a decent hypothesis. Now go test it. Yeah. And as you test it, you're gonna refine that until you have a firm theory. That's what you're gonna to go to business with. But right yeah. now, you've got an okay hypothesis, go test it. Yeah. And come back to us when you've got a firmed up theory that's tested and proven.
1: You know, the the sort of the shakeout, maybe you could call it, that's happened in the venture investing space recently has been sort of a good thing because I, th- I do think that there are some companies and there's still some sectors, AI obviously, notably among them. The demand for, you know, astronomical breakthrough AI technology-based stuff is so great that there's sort of this willingness or to sort of dump money into startups that have those two initials on their on their pitch deck. I, I've probably had witnessed more companies that have struggled from raising too much capital than not raising enough. If you're scrappy and you get the company to profitability and it turns out that that idea does have legs, does have that growth potential maybe later on, then you're in great position because you don't need the capital. You can minimize dilution, et cetera. And I'm I'm an investor in a company that that's doing just that. They seem to have sort of tipped into that stage. And it's super exciting for these guys because they they've been, you know, frugal and efficient with their capital. But you know, I've been at companies that have raised a lot of money. And what you don't realize when that money comes easily is that it limits your optionality down the line, right? The venture investors aren't going to want you to sell that business for 10 cents on the dollar of what they put into it. Um, They're going to have preferences on on any uh, exit anyway. And so I've seen a lot of promising tech companies kind of go into this zombie land where they raise too much money to exit at any dollar value that they would reasonably be priced at or acquired at. But they're not really profitable. They don't they, they might need to you know really cut expenses to get to profitability. You know, it's really hard to s- kill a software company. There are companies that I worked for twenty years ago that looked dead then, and they're still scraping along. you know so, so you know as long as somebody kind of reboots the server every once in a while, you know, it can keep going for a, a long time, but that doesn't make
0: it an ex- it an exciting business. Maybe. Look at IBM. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, all you IBM people out there. I know there's a lot listening. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we're an AI company, the company that I'm a co-founder, CEO of. And uh, just to point out how nuts it is in the VC world today, we do not have a product. I have not made any public announcements. There is nothing that has to do with customer acquisition or anything like that, but we have been approached as of today by 101 distinct venture funds that want to back us, that they're, they're telling us, you know, you're an ideal fit for our, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I'm like, how'd you get our deck? Right. Right. <laughs> How do you know what we're doing? Yeah. So it's crazy out there. And a lot of them, one of the ones that we're talking to today has a lot of those zombies because their thesis on what they were investing in was whatever was hot and they dumped a bunch of money into it and now they've got a bunch sitting there and part of the value proposition for somebody like us coming in is we can roll them in like a lot of what they're doing is adjacent to what we're doing we'll strip down their tech bury it and then they'll keep going you'll get your rocket ship but there's a lot of those out there and to your point that zombie situation is really really common and it's actually the worst thing that can happen to you as an entrepreneur totally because you're stuck.
1: Right. And there's so much rhetoric around that You don't want to give up. You don't want to throw in the towel. It's like, and then you're babysitting this invalid business that, you know, <laughs> and it's just It won't die. It won't yeah. die, but, it won't, <laughs> but it's not going to live either. So, yeah. yeah, no, it's challenging. It's I've, you know, seen a lot of that. One of the great perils for a lot of you know Silicon Valley companies is their technology searching for a business problem, right? You oh, know, and man. that's probably the other real big piece of advice I'd give people is, Just because you have cool tech doesn't mean you've got a company, right? And and in fact, oftentimes it means the opposite. The most challenging company I ever started was very, very cool tech but we just we were all over the yard in terms of what our business application was and we just never really landed one and so tech can always be used to solve a problem but if you have got just a piece of technology looking for a use case that's challenging place to be you know you're basically at that point doing at aqua hire uh, just for the talent you know for a couple of good engineers and maybe a little bit of code that you can reuse but uh, other than that it doesn't make for a very interesting business and i i think there's a lot of those businesses being funded right now because nobody quite knows what's gonna happen. They're just sort of finding PhDs with AI expertise straight out of Stanford or Carnegie Mellon or wherever. And writing them checks. And a lot of those technical founders don't necessarily have the business acumen to, you know, do what we talked about, you know, develop prototypes, validate it within customers, just hear that feedback, really understand markets and market potential and market sizes, market addressability, competitive factors, all those things that really are what matters. The tech is, you know, probably tenth on the list of 10 things that matters. <laughs>
0: If 10th, like if a, tenth, then it's one, right. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a founder at another startup. It's also in the AI space, but he has no tech at all. He's raised his first fund without a product, all he has is a paper prototype, but he has validated that prototype with a dozen customers that are exactly the ideal. Yeah. And so he went in with a this is the problem I'm going to solve. I think I know how to solve it. Sat down with a bunch of customers, spent months interacting with them. Got so far with the paper prototype that they started using and by paper I mean an Excel spreadsheet. Right, right. Like got so far with the Excel spreadsheet that they just said, "Hey, you know, cool. Just leave us with the Excel spreadsheet. We don't need any more." He's like, "Okay, we've got it. Now we got to go build it." And I was like, that's perfect because if it's that simple, it's really easy to build. 100%. Yeah.
1: I mean, this was, I mentioned the company where we pivoted from doing AI for customer support internally. You know, I'd go to these heads of customer support and they'd be like, you do realize you are about the 2000th company who's come in here (laughs) pitching me AI this or AI that, you know, including all the companies that I already have a vendor relationship with Salesforce and Oracle and IBM, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. you know, you really, you're absolutely right. You need a clear, crisp, pain point value proposition that people get, have that need, and is simple and quick and affordable to deploy. Um, that's what's hard to find.
0: And that's a wrap for this episode of TechTastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious. Hey there, tech tastians! Is your team drowning in tech debt and you just wish you had a magic button to fix it? I want to introduce you to Vala AI, your tech debt hero. At Vala AI, we get it, you're busy. That's why we've made fixing tech challenges as easy as a click of a button. You don't need to be an engineer. We empower non-techies to conquer complex tech issues effortlessly. We understand you don't have time for tech headaches. Vala AI is here to lift that tech burden, making your tech debt disappear with a simple click. So ready to say goodbye to tech troubles? Try Vala AI. Your solutions are just a click away.